Welcome to episode 17 of the Fatherhood Podcast. You know, the road to fatherhood is not always a fairy tale. Many men experience various trials and other challenges that present themselves along the way. Today, I was able to have a conversation with Silas Grant. Silas is a new father like me, and he has a very interesting story to tell about the ups and downs of he and his wife's journey to parenthood. We'll talk about that and more coming up. I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is The Fatherhood. Welcome to The Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in The Fatherhood. As a new member of The Hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. So how's it going so far, man? So far, it's going good. You know, my wife and I are trying to develop a system, and uh, there are kinks in the system that we're trying to work out. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's a lot of trial and error. And um, I think, you know, we we, we sit and we talk a lot at night about, you know, what the next day should look like, and we go from there. No two days are the same, man. That's that's what I found out in these almost five months, man. Every day presents a new, a new challenge, a new scenario that you and your wife are gonna have to uh, have to deal with, man. So, but it is it, it's exciting, man. I'm sure you're you're starting to figure it out, man. So, so tell the people about your your daughter and your wife, man. So, uh, my wife Valerie and I, we uh, have been married almost nine years, and we've been together almost fourteen years. And um, on Father's Day of 2018, we found out that my wife was pregnant with our little girl. She was born five weeks ago. Her name is Molly Rose Grant. And uh, Molly is a ball of energy. And uh, we have a lot of fun taking care of her from day to day. Absolutely, man. And, and you're, you're fresh in the game. Man. So tell me, um, so far, what, is, what does being a father mean to you? Man, being a father, from my perspective, is really about legacy. I'm thinking about the future now more than ever. And um, my wife and I were just talking a few moments ago about school, you know, primary school and the sorts of experiences we want Molly to be a part of. uh, And, you know, the fact that there's a big world out there and we want her to be a learner. And so, you know, that's a real big discussion for us right now. And uh, I'm just thinking about, you know, what my legacy will be. The biggest thing that I've told everybody that I know is that, you know, I feel like I've done a lot in, in my community and in my tribe. And it's just my hope that when I'm not around, when Molly's walking around, when people see her, you know, they, they'll think enough of me to be able to handle her with care. Yeah, man. And before before we get too far in the conversation, I just want to make sure I properly introduce you. Um, you know, if you're from D.C., you know, have been here for a minute or even, you know, are new to the area, you know, there there are certain people that you should just know. And my guest today on The Fatherhood, Silas Grant, is definitely one of them. He is a well-known community activist uh, in D.C., always um, has something going on for the for the betterment of, of our people and the community here. 
uh, in DC and the surrounding area. So I'm, I'm happy to have him um, on the podcast today. So Silas, just tell tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and, and what you have going on in the city. So I uh, went to Hampton University in 1997. I uh, spent five years down at Hampton. I came back home in 2002. And at that particular point, I realized that a lot of the friends that I came up with were in need of help. And I felt that I wasn't doing enough. And so I got involved in in politics and community service. I uh, held an elected office for about six years, an advisory neighborhood commissioner in my neighborhood. Uh, I've been the chair of uh, the War 5 Democrats here in D.C. for about two years. Um, And currently I work in the uh, War 5 Council office as a senior advisor. So, you know, I'm still trying to help elected officials understand some of the issues that take place at the ground level for people that live everyday lives. That's great, man. And and like I mentioned, Silas, you have a lot of great things going on in the community. Um, Definitely want everyone who's listening to to get behind a lot of the initiatives that he spoke about and that he's involved in. But but back to the fatherhood, Silas, you know, who did you model your approach to, to fatherhood after like who are some of your role models man that, that you grew up admiring and, and once um if that day were to come for you to be a father that you wanted to emulate you know my, my dad was a really big example for me and quite honestly i was apprehensive about having children because i felt like i couldn't live up to the example that he set he sacrificed everything for my mom my two sisters and i He worked two jobs. He came in the house. He didn't really have a big social life. His entire life was about us. And, um, you know, now that I've moved into my late 30s going on 40, um, I think back to when he had me, which was at 40, and where he was, you know, psychologically, socially, all those things, and just how rooted he was in family. And, you know, I wanted to take that example and at least try to reach a certain point close to it. I didn't think I could match it. Um, But in recent times, I found out over the last maybe year that no less than close to a dozen friends of mine that are over 35 are having children for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking to a bunch of new fathers in, in my age bracket that are experiencing it for the first time as well. And we exchange text messages. We talk a lot. And, uh, I've been trying to model, myself after them as well. So it's kind of like a peer mentoring that we're kind of giving each other. And I, you know, I remember one of your podcasts where you talked about you leaned a bit on what your dad and uncles did, but you also realized it's a new day and you had to kind of build a model for yourself. I agree hundred percent, man. I, I was 36 um, last year when Emory was born. And, you know, fortunately, you know, some of the guys um, in our, in our social circle, in our age group, especially our Hampton family, um, who are having kids or have 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 had kids in the past two three years? Um, you know, I, I kind of looked at them more so as as examples of you know what they're doing, what what some ideas, um, some things, just to kind of you know bounce some ideas off them and get some advice from them. And, and it's helped me a lot to have some people in my peer group as I've gotten older, man. Because you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but that was one of the, my concerns. You know, as I got older, was I going to be the only one in my age group, you know, with a with a toddler or a newborn, man? So. Um, <laughs> You know, that's that's definitely, you know, helped. And I, I, I appreciate them um, for that. But, you know, Silas, I really want to talk to you today about the journey um, to fatherhood, especially for you. And you, you talked about, you know, when you met your wife 14 years ago and how you found out 
uh, last Father's Day that you're going to be a dad. And that that process and that journey came with a lot of health health challenges and maybe some uncertainty uh, whether or not children were ever going to be in the car for you. So, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So my wife and I, you know, we, we've always had this commitment to each other. And that commitment is that whatever we walked in the door with, that was enough. Right. So if we never got the 10,000 square foot home, if we never got the dream jobs, if we never had the children and the big house with the picket fence and the three car garage, we were okay with whatever we walked in the door with. And, you know, we didn't have much, but we had each other. And um, for a long period, my wife would always tell me that she had health challenges and that if she were to ever mm-hmm. be pregnant, it would be a really tough pregnancy. And so um, what I did not want was to put pressure on either one of us to have something come about that was not a part of what we had when we walked in the door. And so you know, I essentially wrote off having children. It wasn't a situation where I was totally afraid of it, but I had grown comfortable with just being, you know, she and I. And, um, you know, when it got to the point where we found out uh, we were happy, but I think at the same time we were really frightened because we didn't know what was next. And um, throughout the pregnancy, what I found was that we were really guarded And we really didn't get the opportunity to enjoy the pregnancy the way we wanted to because we were so preoccupied with the what ifs on the negative side. And and, you know, a lot lot of us dealt with that, especially going back to our age group, man. So um, how did you manage that uncertainty, that stress, you know, going to every uh, doctor's appointment, the checkups? not knowing, you know, is this going to be the appointment where we find out something is wrong? Like, How did you manage that? Yes, yeah, so I'll say the first, well, we, we had a really, really good doctor, right? She came in the room with a lot of humor, a lot of information. So we felt settled every time we talked to her, no matter what the outcome would have been. We felt like we were in good care. Um, it wasn't until maybe the 20-week checkup, and, and that's mm-hmm. kind of when you get the chromosome tests and you start realizing that the pregnancy is you know, going to be sustained that I saw my wife really open up and and she became a little more open to, okay, we're having a baby. I can be happy about it. And so when I saw her embrace it more, um, I just tried to continue to encourage her to embrace it. But at the same time, we remained guarded. So it was kind of a balancing act for us. And um, that was a balancing act that we went through for the entire 36, 37 weeks. You know, I don't know if you all dealt with this, but, you know, some of us, once we get a certain age, you start to get the questions from family and friends. When are you going to have kids? Uh, You know, we're we're waiting on some news from you all. I don't know if you all dealt with this, but, you know, knowing that you had resigned to the fact that maybe this wasn't in in life's plans for you, how did you all deal with those questions um, that you may have gotten from friends and family wondering, hey, when are you you, and you guys going to have some kids? Some people would ask us, and my wife is really blunt. Um, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know me, Jamal. Like, yeah. I'm very diplomatic. Naturally, I'm in politics, so that's my thing, right? But my wife would tell them, we're not having kids, yeah. right? And you know, sometimes she would say it in a joking way. Sometimes she'd be dead serious. Um, she and I joked around and this is not, you know, looking back, it's not cool, but we joked with each other a couple of times and said, we should just tell people we can't have kids and see Mm. what their reaction is. Right. Because some people will really try to weigh in on you. Like, 
I've had people tell us that we're selfish because we're not trying to have children, right? So I, I've, I've heard some really like abrasive things uh, in terms of even criticism about why we're not actively trying. And so that was going to be our rebuttal as kind of a joke, but it's really not a joke because a lot of people go through that. Um, fortunately, my wife and I, we were never the type to be, um, we were never like emotional about the fact that we didn't have a child. It was, we were just happy go lucky, the two of us. And so we know a lot of other couples that are paying thousands of dollars to try to, you know, implement this sort of pregnancy that a lot of people naturally do. And so, you know, we, we tried for the people close to us to let them know, listen, there's a big world out there and a lot of different scenarios and having a child seems like it's straightforward, but there are a lot of people that are quietly suffering. So, we just tried to kind of educate the people who were open to hearing from us that we're not going through that. At least we don't think we are, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of couples who are. So, you know, even though you talked about not being able to really enjoy the pregnancy to a certain point, was there any or what type of excitement were you able to, to feel like? What type of you know joy were you able to experience, especially when you first found out the news? Man, it's funny. My wife and I would just look at each other sometimes and be like, man, this is real. Like, we're about to have a child. So we would kind of joke with each other, like, are you ready? And I would say no. And then I would ask her, are you ready? And she would say no. We would just laugh at it. So we got a kick out of, like, laughing at each other for not being ready. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that we were excited about was when we found out we were having a girl. Because um, we named our, our daughter, um, her first name, Molly, is after my wife's grandmother who passed away. Um, and Rose is her middle name after my mom. And so, you know, we, for me, I know personally, a lot of my advancement in my career, a lot of my advancement in life has been on the shoulders of black women. And I wanted to make sure that our daughter was named after strong black women and that she's taught that, you know, the pathway that she will take will allow her to grow and be strong in her blackness as a woman. So having a girl was exciting when we found out the news because we felt that that's a legacy that we could build. Uh, and we have a lot of strong women in our family. And I just wanted to continue that with her. So you guys didn't do a lot of the, the quote unquote, traditional things that, that parents do during a pregnancy. And especially some of the things you do in the, in the social media age, such as like photo shoots and, you know, elaborate showers that, you know, a lot of people do just for the sake of posting it on Instagram. Um and, you know, you mentioned that you got a lot of, you know, heat and backlash from, from some folks in your, in your circle. Tell us about that and, and how you deal with, dealt with that. Yeah. So my, my wife and I, I mean, I'm, I'm very public with what I post. My wife is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just never wanted to be the overbearing expecting parent or the overbearing parent with pictures every day. Like if I go to your page, I want to know who you are if you friend request me. I don't want to see like 60 pictures of your kid before I see a picture of you. So I, I, I wanted to kind of measure out how much I shared about that because my page is normally about me. Even with my wife, I, I post stuff about her, but it's not like my page is inundated with her content, right? Um, so that was kind of the, the, the mindset that we had around social media. Uh, with respect to people in the circle being critical, um, we were again just being guarded because we knew the risk at our age yeah. of children not making it through the pregnancy. But I had someone very close to me say, "Listen, Silas," and and so before I even make that statement, my family, 
we all are right, really, really religious, right? And I, I even met my wife at my church and my, my family and her family introduced us. So it, it was like your old school, like cookup type thing where like, it's almost like a quasi arranged marriage, so to speak, right? Um, but one of the people in my circle, um, who's also a Christian, was just saying to me, listen, Silas, in our family and even in our circles, everybody's not getting married first and having a baby. And it's rare that we see that sometimes. And so we're just happy that you guys did it the way that we profess to do things. So that was a different perspective that I had to kind of step back on and say, you know what, you are right. It is an example for those who believe what we believe. And I thought that was um, a different perspective that we had to take into consideration, even though we were guarded. To to that point, um, how does your faith help you, you know, through some of the ups and downs, through some of the, the, the trials and uncertainty that you dealt with prior to and during the pregnancy? Man, it's just, um, you know, prayer means a lot to me. Um, when people say they're praying for, praying for me, I don't take that lightly. Um, again, a lot of black women, you know, have reached out and prayed for me throughout my life. My mom and her friends, their circle, I mean, just tremendous prayer warriors. So, you know, I know I've been protected and spared from situations because of their prayers, man. So I try to live, um, I try to live in a space where I can represent them the right, the right way. You know, I don't want to obviously make myself be perfect, right? Because that's a big pedestal to kind of stand on. But at the same time, you know, who I am in public, who I am in private, I try to live transparently. I try to do the right thing because I know that I've been afforded privilege that others do not have. And I know a part of that privilege comes from the fact that a lot of people weighed in and prayed on me. And and with, you know, with the, the journey that you were on, um, you know, with some of the, the uncertainty and the risk involved with your wife's pregnancy, take us through, you know, the moment where, you know, you, it's finally time for, for, for Molly to come, for the Molly to arrive. How emotional and how gratifying was was that moment to finally meet her man so i i I, um i do this story thing on instagram sometimes um on the on the ig story where i just tell stories about my life and there was once where my wife had a health issue that strangely enough left her paralyzed like all over her body for like a couple of hours um, she went to the hospital. I arrived at the hospital and when she saw me, she had like one tear in her eye. She could barely even cry. Um, and so we were in, you know, fast forward years later, we're in the labor room and the doctor comes in and he's like, listen, the baby's about to come right now. Are you guys ready? He's kind of making it, you know, a joke. And I look at her and she has that same reaction that she had years ago when she had that quirky ailment that left her not able to move. And it was a real sense of vulnerability. And when I looked at her, it reminded me of that moment. And it reminded me of the commitment that we made. And I looked at her and I smiled and I said, are you ready? And she laughed. And that tear was a bit of anxiety, but also just a relief. And I was relieved because she was relieved. And, and from that point forward, we pushed a few more times and Molly came into the world. And was it knowing everything you you guys went through, going back to the story you just mentioned, um, you know, I know every parent feels a sense of gratification um, once their child um, arrives. I know I did. But for you, knowing what you all have been through, 
um, knowing the prayers that people had prayed for you, knowing you know many doctors' visits you had you had gone on, was it different for you knowing the journey, knowing the journey you had been on? Yeah, it definitely was different. I think we had a very sober perspective. We never got caught up in the glitz and glam of a pregnancy, which is why we didn't do all the photo shoots and things of that nature. And I'm not necessarily like trying to knock that. That's cool. It just wasn't for us. Mm-hmm. But we really took this thing seriously. It was really a, a sobering experience for us. And we take on the responsibility of raising a little girl as serious as we can. We we know that she she is the, the promise that that, you know, our family always wanted. You know, I want to be able to lay a foundation for her to excel and that there are no limits on her. I mean, almost every morning I try to pray with her and I, I pray against the spirit of fear. I pray against the spirit of depression. I pray against all those things so that when she walks out of the house, when she starts walking and she's on her own, that she knows who she is and she's not taking a back seat to anybody. So for you, Silas, man, what, what was the most challenging um, part of this whole um, journey throughout the pregnancy and up until Molly was born? Like, what was the most challenging part for you to deal with? Uh, the biggest challenge for me, my dad is currently battling dementia. Hmm. Uh, today is actually the first day that he got a chance to meet Molly. Um, he's at a nursing home, which is about a mile away from where we live I can literally walk there. Uh, but because she wasn't big enough, we didn't want to take her earlier than now. So um, throughout the pregnancy, you know, with dementia, the memory goes in and out. You're not always in you know, the best space mentally. And um, I, I want my dad to be a part of this process of me raising her. And it's my hope that her presence will delay some of the, um, I guess, inevitable decline in memory and his his physical space. So um, him seeing her today, being able to hold her, um, it's funny, he saw my wife before he saw the baby. He was surprised that we showed up. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he saw her, he raised his hands like, where's the baby? So <laughs> just him knowing that, being aware that, you know, I have a newborn and he knows her name most of the time, he re- remembers it. But the most challenging thing has just been, you know, what role my dad will play moving forward and how much of this will he be able to recall. And how did you deal with that, man? Because, you know, when our, when our wives or significant others are going through pregnancy, we have to be there for them um, emotionally, physically, spiritually. But at the same time, you're doing that while dealing with uh, an, an aging parent who is dealing with you know, dementia, which is a, a terrible disease. How did you balance that? And how did you be mentally tough throughout this entire process? Man, I just, you know, I I journal a lot and I try to write out the things that are in my mind. I think sometimes we underestimate the power of writing out what we're thinking about. So I did that a lot. Um, You know, and I think the biggest thing for me, my dad had me when he was approaching 40. I had my daughter approaching 40. His dad's health declined at that period. Now his health is declining now that I'm a new parent. So those thoughts, you know, the replay of what took place in the past were in my mind. And I just tried to write my way out of it. And I felt like when I wrote things down, I was able to sort out my thoughts. And that allowed me to think clearly. 
So what, what did you learn about yourself in preparation to become a dad? You're, you're dealing with a lot of adversity um, within your family. How, what did you learn about Salas that, that really prepared you for, for fatherhood? Well, you know, I'm trying to balance the commitment I've made to my community, the commitment I've made to my wife, and now a commitment with my daughter. But then also, you know, my family, right? We're, we're trying to lean on each other in this period. Everyone's responsibilities have been, you know, increased, maybe not exponentially, but there's been an additional load. So, you know, what the thing I've learned about myself is that I've got to invest more time in myself, right? So I'm, I'm back to reading as much as I can. Um, you know, a lot of times I extend myself when I'm out in public. You know, normally if you catch me and you start talking to me, you can have my ear for an hour. But now I'm realizing I just can't waste that much time. So I'm trying to be more efficient. So efficiency has been the thing that I've tried to, you know, focus in on. And that's been the the, the biggest lesson for me is that to be a father, you've got to dedicate a lot of time to your daughter or son. You've got to dedicate time to that partner that you're raising that child with. And you got to realize that everything outside of that is not always a priority the way you thought it was. So what do you hope to pass on to your daughter, man? You you have a legacy going back to to your daddy and grandfather and strong family. What do you hope to pass on to, to your little girl? I want to pass on to her the fact that she's got to pay her way through this life and, and paying your way through this life is giving back. Um, I want her to have an abundance of love, an abundance of resources and I want her to have the spirit of giving. And I want her to know that that's something that her mom's family, her dad's family, her entire family, her entire tribe, we've, be, we've been dedicated to that and committed to that. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I have my little conversation with her every morning and I say, listen, you're going to be great. You're going to meet other great people. And with those great people, you guys are going to change the world. And I really, really believe that. And I stand on that. So, you know, we talked about earlier, Salas, when you first came on about your work in the community, you just mentioned some things you're going to have to adjust now that um, you're dead. But I'm curious, how does your activism and your involvement in D.C., how has that prepared you to be a dad? And how do the two overlap? Like what what characteristics work in your community leadership that you've seen work um, now that you're a father? So one of the things that I realized um late last year is that as a father, I'm not just raising my daughter. I'm going to at some point pick up the responsibility of being an example and partially raising maybe her friends, right? Maybe the girls and boys in her classroom. I've done a lot of work where they're not positive, uh, capable parents that are always in the lives of these young people, which contributes to some of the challenges that we try to tackle through the community events that we do. So, you know, I'd be a fool to think that I'm just raising my daughter, right? My dad, a lot of my sis, I have two older sisters. A lot of my sisters, their friends, that was the only man they saw, right? For me, my, my, my friends, that was the closest thing to a dad they had. And so I feel like for me, the community work that I've done puts me in the mindset of, understanding that I have to fill the gap to some degree. It's not totally my responsibility, but I got to live a life where Molly's friend that sits in the next desk next to her, she can see an example or he can see an example if there's not one in their household in me. 
Yeah, man. And last question, Silas. I really appreciate you, man. Great conversation. You know, you, as, as we talked about, your journey wasn't, you know, straight and narrow in, in this process of uh, becoming a father. You dealt with some of the health issues with your wife. You dealt with balancing that along with the health, health issues of your dad. So, you know, what advice would you give some fathers who have dealt with some similar struggles in their journey to fatherhood? Like, what what would you tell them uh, what would you pass on to them about dealing with that 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 journey? I think you have to really look at the person that you're entering this state with. You got to invest in that person. Um, if you're a man and you're about to be a father, whether you're in a, a full fledged committed relationship with that mother or not, whether you're married, engaged, whatever state you're in has to be an investment into that person. A lot of times we make an investment in the, in the child, but we neglect to invest in the person that we're partnering with in this situation. And I think that as men, what I've been really reflecting on the last five weeks and even beyond that, we tend to think that the investment that we make is bigger than what it is. And we think that the return should be bigger. And my wife, I look at her and she's breastfeeding Molly every day and it's taxing her physically. Mm-hmm. And the little things that she asks me to do to be able to accommodate her, it's not as big of an investment as I may have thought it would have been in times past. And so as men, we got to really, to some degree, govern our minds with respect to the expectation that we have you know, for this return on our investment, you know, we, we do one thing and we think we're daddy of the year. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and we, we got to get out of that mindset and understand that, you know, the investment will be greater, but the return may not be as great as we think on that investment. And we just have to continue investing and continuing investing and understanding that even if we go into a deficit, it's worth it because the person that you partner with is a person that's worthy of that. That's interesting. You brought that up, man. I know we're going to wrap up, but you know, just just seeing my wife and everything she goes through with the breastfeeding, I, I had to check myself too, man, because I'm I'm thinking I do a little, a couple of diaper changes, you know, take them to daycare, and and I'm doing this big grand task, you know. But in the grand scheme of things, is it's nothing compared to what what um what they go through. So I really had to, you know, take a look in the mirror, and like you said, you know, it's it's not, you know as big of an investment as we think it is, man. So I really appreciate you kind of, kind of, you know, checking me on that too, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. I'm, I'm happy for you and I'm glad things are going well um, for you in this, in these, these five months so far. So before I let you go, man, just tell, tell um, our listeners, especially those in, in DC, you know, what you have going on, how, you know, you can be reached anything that in, in the community that we can be a part of. So a lot of the things that I'm involved in, I I try to leverage social media. So, you know, it's really simple. My Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they're all the same. Silas Grant, S-I-L-A-S-G-R-A-N-T. I try to be as, um, I guess, transparent and as forthcoming. And I try to give as much notice about events as possible. Um, There are a wide range of events that we, we do a lot with respect to the community, whether it be meetings about, uh, the city council and, and how the budget works, how legislation works, or if it's a food drive for less fortunate, a clothing drive for less fortunate, if they're mentor programs, if they're financial workshops. If I get my hands on it, I think it's credible and it's somebody that I know and can vouch for. I try to spread the word on that. So 
Um, feel free to check out my pages and um, check me out there. Well, Silas Grant, man, thank you so much for joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast. Hey, man, thank you for having me. I want to thank my man, Silas Grant, for joining me on the podcast today. And as always, thank you for listening. You know, it's important that we embrace our journey to parenthood, whether it's smooth and drama-free or whether we encounter some bumps on the road and some challenges. Because when we come through it, we'll have an amazing story and testimony to tell. As always, you can find the show on social media at The Fatherhood Podcast on Instagram. And on Facebook, you can like The Fatherhood Podcast page. And as always, you can catch me on my personal pages at Jamar Hudson on Instagram and Twitter. As you should know by now, The Fatherhood Podcast drops every Saturday and can be found on major streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and TuneIn. And if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, be sure to drop a rating and review. I'll be back next week with another guest. And as always, thank you for joining the Fatherhood. This is Jamar Hudson.